Anyone remember it? No, okay, I didn't think so, but you never know. You never know. Um, it's wonderful when we see history and uh, hear history like that to forget how much life has changed since then. Uh, in 1928, George V was the king. And uh, Britain had an empire which, since then, 53 countries have, have left and gained their own independence. Quite rightly so. And uh, 1928 was the year that Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin. 1928 was the year that John Logie Baird first broadcast a TV signal from London to New York. Uh, 1928 was the year when the Representation of the People Act was passed in Parliament, which for the first time gave all adults aged 21 and over the right to vote in this country. Up until then, it was dependent on gender or whether you were a property owner. If you were a tenant, it didn't quite qualify. So that was the first time uh, for over 21 uh, for men and women in this country. 1928, it's not that long ago, is it? Uh, 1928 was the first edition of the Oxford English Dictionary, which had taken 70 years to produce to get it ready. And uh, so that was produced. And a little more local for us, perhaps, if you're familiar with your local geography and history. Um, 1928 was also the year that House... Oh. Yeah, House at Pooh Corner was written. Um, but most excitingly of all... This machine was invented and trialled and, and went into production in 1928. Can, do you, anyone know what this is? Anybody see? It's not a computer. It's better than that. It's not, the, not a printing press or a form of printing. It's better than that. In the background are loaves of bread. And this was the very first commercial sliced bread and wrapping machine. How about that? 1928. And guess how it was advertised? It was advertised as being the greatest forward step in the baking industry since bread was wrapped. This was the best thing since wrapped bread. 1928. What a year. What a year. It's a year before the uh, Wall Street crash. It's a year before, years before the Great Depression, the rising dictatorships across Europe, before World War II, before the welfare state, before the United Nations, before the NHS, before the Cold War, before the space race, before computers and IT and all the rest of it that gets us to where we are today. Internationally, we've seen some of uh, our missions work over the years mentioned, and internationally, uh, the world was a bit of a different place in 1928. Uh, let me just see. There we go. Albania, where we support one of our missions partners today, was a constitutional monarchy. It had just been declared that. It had been uh, a republic up until then, and the president declared himself to be King Zog. Now, that is a good name if you're going to be king, isn't it? King Zog. It does make you sound like a Bond villain, but despite that, that's still good. Um, India and Pakistan was under British colonial rule. Afghanistan had, been, had declared its independence nine years before. Burkina Faso. Uh, was then French Upper Volta, changing world over those years. Uh, the church has been changing over those years too, and statistics tell us that for the Church of England, who, who've kept statistics all this time, in 1928, 8%, and you might be surprised it's not higher, 8% of the population were in church on Easter Sunday and received communion. 8%. In, in 1960, that was 5%. And in 2017, it was 1.4%. Uh, 
Um, so 9, 8%, 5%, 1.4%. Now, hang on to those statistics in your mind just for a moment. See, the world in which we live has changed beyond all recognition in 90 years, but fundamentally it remains the same. You see, fundament I've always argued that actually uh, our country was not a Christian country in the sense that the whole nation was Christian back then. We did have some Christian values and principles that we kept to, and our laws were perhaps based more on the tradition which came from a biblical root. Um, but actually, if only 8% were in church on Easter Sunday having communion back in 1928, we still had a long way to go. There were other churches around, of course, that people could have gone to. And that did, did make the statistics. But when you look at the stats, across all denominations in 1928, 80% of the nation still needed to know about Jesus and follow him. The difference today is it's probably around 95%. 80% then, 95% now. And so the need is still great. This town and the surrounding area still need Jesus. Uh, this, there are still people looking for hope and searching for meaning and wondering about love and loss and joy and despair. That We've still got people who are rich and we've still got people who are poor. We've still got those who are healthy and those who are sick. We've got young and old and we sti people still need a living and vibrant and personal encounter with Jesus. Nothing else takes his place. Truth is that today change is coming and these are great days to be a follower of Jesus. There are days of challenge and opportunity. We're in a growing town. We're in a town like many others across the country, like all of the country, with increasing secularization. Uh, but that leaves people empty for answers because it doesn't take long to discover that actually that, that manifesto, that, that ideology doesn't have answers within it and you're left wondering where hope's coming from. I think it's a great opportunity for the church, not as an institution, not as even as an organization, but as a living, breathing organism, as God's people going into the world to make a difference in this day and this generation. Uh, today, it's possible as you've been watching these videos and uh, you may just have turned up or you may have been here less time than 90 years or less time than 40 years or less time than 30 years and you've been thinking, well, that's nice, but some of those stories don't relate to me. Or maybe you can give your own thanks for the time You've been connected with the church. Or give your own thanks for what Jesus has been doing. I've only been here for 10 years, but, uh, or so, just a little bit longer than that. But I still look back with gratitude over all the things God has done in that time. And I want to give thanks and honor what God has done. To give thanks for all those who've come to faith. To give thanks for the 50 people who've been baptized in that time. To give thanks for the hundreds who've come for the first time. To give thanks for those who are encountering God and following Jesus and sharing faith and who have been equipped to follow him. I want to give thanks to, for the, building we in, the buildings we've got and inhabiting and the changes that we've been able to do through God's provision every step of the way. Thankful to those who've for those who've served faithfully in every aspect of the church's ministry over that time. Thankful to those who faithfully served Jesus and who've now run their race and are at home with him. Thankful for all who call the church home and are part of what God is doing through us. This time last year was very significant for this church family. It was the last service of Broadmead Church. And uh, next, the first service in April, the dates are slightly different, but the, the, the next week would have been the first service in April. And TWCF welcomed new friends 
who joined and we joined together in worship with one purpose and one mission and together we're now one church one people with one call to live for Jesus and follow him I want to read a few verses of scripture this morning because at one of these moments we're, we're looking back and looking forward and I think this is a great encouragement to us the writer of the letter to the Hebrews has just written of some incredible people of faith and they've told their stories and we get to this this kind of hinge moment where having told those stories they then want to give an encouragement to move on and I believe God would speak to us about the future today not just about the past which we are thankful for he writes this therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I want to just take those points in reverse. There's two points I want to make from this and flip them around in reverse. Firstly, where you fix your gaze still matters today. Where you fix your gaze still matters. If we were to ask the question, where is your hope? In 1928, there was no NHS. In 1928, there was little social housing. There was no antibiotics. In 2019, we might have higher aspirations, higher expectations, greater affluence, and yet our hope cannot be in human progress. It can only be in Jesus. It can only be in him. We must look to him. We could be tempted to look at our resources, our skills, our strengths, our methods, our leaders, our styles, our buildings, all of that stuff that we have but we've never got enough. All of those will come and go. Our focus must remain on Jesus. As we look ahead, we'll have methods and leaders and styles and buildings and all sorts of stuff, and we need all of those, but more than that, we need Jesus. We mustn't let our gaze slip. And today, a simple encouragement and challenge. If you've lost your passion, find it again in Jesus. If you've lost your focus, find it again on Jesus. Look at him again. Be, if you've become caught up in what you do see and what you don't see, what you like and what you don't like, even about church, look again to Jesus, please. He's wonderful and glorious and majestic. The book of Hebrews starts with these words. It, it's, it says about Jesus that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being sustaining all things by his powerful word. Uh, secondly, what we see is that what we give our lives for still matters. What we give our lives for still matters. 1928, a little church with big ambitions was established. Based in prayer, in faith, and with a hope they were prepared to give everything for. They knew not only God's provision, but also that they must give themselves to that work thousands of hours of work and prayer and investment followed thousands of hours of sacrificial giving of finance and time and they left a legacy for us today that is not insignificant but also our lives are not insignificant your life is not insignificant and neither is mine what we give our lives for matters or invest our lives in matters what we do with our time what we do with our energies what we do with our everything we have matters and we want to give our lives for something that matters today so what then as we look ahead in the remaining few minutes that i have 
As we look ahead, our priorities are actually remarkably similar to those that the church had 90 years ago. Firstly, God's presence and prayer. We are called to be a people, and it's in our DNA, it's, it's in the core of who we are, called to be in a people who know the presence of God, who carry God's presence wherever we go. We're called to seek his face and to know him. We're called to pray, and we're called to worship. We're called to be a people of his presence, who, as God is still looking for holy ones. He's still looking for our people who will carry him and, and his presence and, and all that he wants to bring, his glory, into the, the, the places that they go. And as a leadership, we're convinced and, and have a vision of, 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 of us all being drenched in the Spirit of God and it being poured out and poured over and spilling out into our homes and workplaces, into our streets and neighborhoods, into our schools and colleges, as people are touched by the presence of God. We're longing and are looking for renewed encounters with God. He's still called us to prayer and presence. He's called us to discipleship. You see, just as that early church back in 1928 and onwards from there, knew they were not called to stay the same. Called to, to know Jesus and follow him and called to be changed day by day by him. And we have a commitment and a calling to ongoing transformation. We are not called to stay the same as individuals or as a group. There is great joy in transformation. There's great joy in discovering release and freedom and change. Jesus hasn't called us to comfort but he's called us to transformation. As a leadership, we believe that we'll see the church becoming less comfortable as we follow Jesus, as we count the cost, as we change, and as we become like him. We want to increasingly invest in discipleship. We already value our life groups, but we want to keep investing in them and see new leaders raised up and more groups started, more training happening. They're a great place for accountability and community and discipleship. We want to refine what we do, but continue with the essence of those and to see more people involved. I believe we're going to see new groups springing up in people's homes and workplaces and, and amongst their neighbors as we build community and grow in Jesus. We're also called to community. We're called to community, called to grow in faith together, not to do it alone. Our unity is vital as we look to move ahead to move ahead with one vision, one calling, one purpose. As a leadership, we've got a vision for one vision, one people under God, and one church. What took place last year in the church was, super, it was hugely significant. And our unity as a, as a church in two places, uh, two locations, provides a foundation for what comes next because God wants to move on a people who united. God wants us to do what we could not have done on our own. Mission. We've heard about mission, and we know that from the beginning of the church, whichever your route in, whether that was through um, Glad Tidings Hall or through uh, Central Pentecostal Church or through TWCF here or through Broadmead, uh, the church has had a passion for mission. And it's begun twice with ladies praying, elderly ladies praying. I don't know what it is about elderly ladies. Formidable elderly ladies, perhaps, but there's a, they, two groups that had a passion for mission and a desire to see God at work. And boy, do we need that today. We have a belief, a compelling conviction that God is still at work in the world and actually he's called us to be part of what he's doing, not to invent it by ourselves. We want to see 
every person in our community having a meaningful opportunity to say yes to Jesus in our generation. We want to see people sent and support overseas, supported overseas to do the same wherever they can make a difference. To see people shown the love of Jesus and discover his presence in their lives, in their workplaces. To see people changed and discipled and baptized and growing in God. This year we've launched some projects and we have a, a goal to do around 20 projects through this year. We've, start, we've started with some and then 40 Acts has kicked us into that as we're moving into mission in an in intentional and particular way. We believe that's just the start. As people across the church grab a passion for a community group or an area or a people group or an activity and say, God, what would you do in this place? God, what would you do maybe with, to my co-workers or to my colleagues, to my neighbors? God, what could you do in my street? And as we begin collectively to have a passion for this nation, for this town and this nation and the nations of the world. Finally, leadership development. We believe that we're not called to keep to ourselves what God has given us, but to raise up and equip and inspire and build and release. We want to see people equipped for life, for ministry, and for leadership. You know, as I look at this room, look at the people here and think of those that aren't able to be with us today, I believe with all my heart that there is more in us than we've yet seen. So much more. I look at this room and I see a massive potential to do the work of God in this generation. And for us, not on our own, but partnering with brothers and sisters across the town and around the world to see God's kingdom come in renewed ways. I'm absolutely convinced of it. As I look across this room, I see churches being planted from this congregation. I see new ventures in mission being started. New ways of doing mission being discovered as people take uh, what God has given into the business world, into politics, into the arts, into education, into healthcare, to science and technology. As people are called into those things and as people are called out of them too. But as we lay our lives down for the kingdom of God, to see Jesus' kingdom come. Before us, we have great opportunity. And that comes with a moment of decision. Albert's brought us to one. I want to encourage us to another that we would decide today to follow Jesus with all that we have, to, do the, to, to be willing to live uncomfortably for him, to do the thing that scared us last year, to love others in ways that we weren't sure we could, to pray with a confidence that we weren't sure we had, with persistence beyond our own resources, to step out together, and make it our mission to, make, to break down the enemy territory and establish the work of God in this generation. The stakes are high. The cost seems too much. The resources seem, seem too small. The need seems too great. And yet I encourage us again to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, the author and finisher, to use another version. He is the one and only the one that we need to see and look to. My prayer is that we might look to him and we might live for him and we might decide today to run with perseverance the race that Jesus has marked out for us. The next bit of that, I want to leave up on the screen as we move to a time of communion because we want to give our lives for serving the king and I believe that will mean that we'll see people encountering God and knowing him more. 
Many more growing as disciples of Jesus. Many more communities of faith established in Tunbridge Wells and around the area. We'll see mission locally and overseas. We'll see people raised up in their gifting and equipped to live for Jesus and serve him. I believe we'll see communities transformed. But it might be on a micro level to start with. As we see people's homes transformed by one life being transformed, as if someone's deciding to follow Jesus. And then it spins out to their family being transformed. Uh, and then their, their environment and their workplace being transformed. And so continually the kingdom of God is established. My prayer is that the statistics I gave you a little while ago, that 95% of this country still needs to know Jesus, would begin to be notched down. We'll begin to see that number change as more and more people hear the good news of Jesus Christ and have an opportunity to respond and do so, becoming followers of the King. It might be, it might be that you've become tired and weary and you've thought, oh, Stuart, we've tried and it hasn't worked. I've tried and my encouragement is to try again, to fix your eyes on Jesus and have another go. The writer to the Hebrews writes this, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's keep our eyes on him. And if you found yourself getting weary, my prayer would be that as you look to Jesus again, you'll renew your courage and your strength and your confidence in the one who's called us, the same one who called a group of people in 1928 to pray and to believe God for something different, the same, group, uh, the same God who called a group of people in the Ramsley area to start a, uh, a, ch- a children's work there, the same God is calling us today to give our lives to serve him, to lay down our lives in his following his call. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. For so many years, we thank you for the years of provision for the church, but not just for the church, for each one of us individual, for the church is only made up of us, the people of the church. And so we pray, Lord, that there would be just a new move of God. I pray that you would work amongst us and in us and through us, and that today we might see uh, the kingdom of God come in this generation. I pray, Lord God, that there would be new life and new liberty and new freedom and that as we give ourselves to your call, we would trust you in a new way. Father, I pray that you would come and lead us into places we never dared possible because you are our King and our Lord and our God and we delight ourselves in you. We pray you'd fill us with your Spirit again and send us out confident in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.